we're about to read. So follow along as I read in my New American Standard, beginning in verse number 1 of Joshua chapter 4. The Bible says, Now when all the nation, that is all the nation of Israel, had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe, Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the sons of Israel. And let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So the stone shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took up the twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan just as the Lord spoke to Joshua according to the number of tribes of the sons of Israel and they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the middle of Jordan, uh, the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing and they are there to this day. For the priests who carried the Ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried across, hurried and crossed. And when all the people had finished crossing, the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony and th that they come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came about when the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up to dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those twelve stones they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Now, these last few verses are kind of what's known as one of the many sermons of Joshua. So I like him as, as a commander-in-chief. He was a preaching commander. So he always takes every opportunity he has to preach. And here's one of his, or a piece of one of his recorded sermons. He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? 
Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel cross this Jordan on dry ground. For Yahweh your Elohim dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as Yahweh your Elohim had done to the Red Sea, which He dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord God, your God, forever. Well, I had some things I wanted to say about this text. But for the life of me, I just can't remember one of them. So why don't y'all stand and we'll be dismissed. Nobody's biting. Why not? How bad if that were the case? Uh, some of you were thinking in, in your heart, Oh good, we get out early today. <laughs> Others were thinking, He's tricking us. Ain't no way I'm going to stand. <laughs> Anyway, this text, no matter what we say about it, and you know I've, I've tried over the years to emphasize this, we've got to first arrive at the heart of the text before we can go anywhere else. What's the central idea in this passage? What's the big deal? And as you know here, the big deal about this text is about memory and setting up this memorial. And you know, no matter how we fight against it, and no matter how we try to justify our lack of ability to have a good memory, we just can't do it and square it with what the Bible says. I'm going to go out on a limb right here and I'm going to say to you that memory is inextricably linked to your spirituality. Now let me take another step even farther out on that limb. I'm going to say to you, that there is no such thing as a forgetful, faithful person. You see, we can't have amnesia and be spiritual. We can't have onset symptoms of dementia and expect to be spiritual. But yet we justify it all the time. I mean, how many times do we make excuses for why we can't remember things? whether it's a verse of Scripture or whether it's somebody's name at grace. Hey, I submit to you that every one of us are, are, are human beings created in the image of God. And if you're born again, let's go a step further and say, the Bible says that you've been given the mind of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about the physical organism, his brain, but I'm talking about the mentality and get this maybe even some of the mental ability. So for us to sit and be lazy and say, well, I just can't remember is nothing short of a lie of Satan and we're deceiving ourselves. You see, we can remember. And it's important for us to remember. That's what Joshua chapter 4 is all about. Hey, Colin did a great job last week, but Colin does a good job doing some more things. Now, Colin would like you to think that he's very smart. He's not smart in the fact that he has an eidetic memory, but he's smart enough to know that he has difficulty remembering some things like names, so this is what Colin will do. He proves his intelligence by writing down names on the inside of his Bible on a piece of paper. 
There are people sitting here at Grace Church today who came back for the second time and ultimately were our members of Grace Church because Colin Dollar remembered their name. Did you know that? I mean, I've had people tell me, I walk in one time and Colin introduces me, introduces himself to me and the next day I come back and I'm not seeing him in a week and he comes up and calls me by name. Don't tell me memory isn't important. Memory is inextricably linked to spirituality. Let me say it one more time. There is no such thing as a forgetful spiritual person. Now we want to tell ourselves that we can be, but we just can't. We want to tell ourselves that we can't remember, but we can. Let me tell you how I know. You remember your social security number, don't you? You remember your home address, don't you? You know your phone number, don't you? You have the ability then to remember. Stop telling yourself that you don't and you can't. And Joshua chapter 4 is all about that. Joshua chapter 4 is about writing some things in stone. My daddy used to say it this way. When he, when he wanted me to remember something good, he'd say, Son, write this down on the inside of your belt. Hey, that's a pretty good way to remember it, isn't it? I mean, you take your belt off every day so you're going to see it. Or sometimes he would say, Hey, scratch this on the inside of your eyelids. <laughs> That way every time you take a nap or every time you blink, you see it. All of these are just another way of saying don't forget this. And that's what Joshua chapter 4 is about with these stones. So I'm speaking to you today on the subject of write it in stone. You know, if we were going to be real closely connected to this text, we'd say write it with stone, huh? Because that's what they did. They wrote it with stone. So if, 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 if we are going to remember some things then there's some things that we must know and put into practice from the onset. There are four principles in this passage that I want to highlight this morning. Lord knows there's probably about 20 in there, but I've reduced it to these four for our time together today. Number one, to write it in stone, or you must write it in stone, because the enemy of faith is forgetfulness. The enemy of faith is forgetfulness. Man... Forgetfulness will cause you to drift. It just will. There's no excuse for us forgetting things that we ought to remember. But on the other hand, our other problem, as Dr. John Wilson reminds us so many times, is remembering things that we ought to forget. And we ought not get those two things confused, huh? I mean, things that happened to us in the past. Things that the devil wants to remind us that we used to do. Hey, if you've confessed those things, they are gone. God has forgotten them Himself. He's buried them under the sea. He's cast them behind His back. The Bible says that God remembers them no more. What in the heck are we doing remembering them? But at the same time, while we sometimes remember things that we ought not remember, we have a tendency to forget things that we ought not forget. And I'm telling you, Forgetfulness is the enemy of faith and spirituality. Now, kudos to my wife. She's good at this. She has kept a journal of just about all the things that we have done in the process of following the Lord. And she'll pull out stuff sometimes from 1995 when she and I were struggling seminary students and about to starve to death. And about how God miraculously provided for us while we were in seminary. She'll sometimes talk about things that God did 
as we found ourselves in a whole nother world, a strange foreign culture where it seemed that one and one don't equal two to an American mind when we first moved to Brazil and hadn't been from Altus, we would have been living on the street. You know, things like that we ought never forget. Now why is it that the Bible says that forgetfulness is the enemy of faith and why are there some things that we should write in stone? Well, three things here I think we need to remind ourselves. Number one, because this miracle was not common. It wasn't common, so God says, you got to remember this. Not only do you have to remember it, you've got to set up some memorial so future generations know it. You've got to remember this perpetually. Why? Because the miracle was uncommon. Hey, get this. If God was planning on doing a miracle like this, let's say every third Saturday of the month, then you wouldn't have to remember it or write it down, would you not? But this was an uncommon miracle. As far as I know, it's not been done again. You see, God doesn't just display raw power like this on a regular or frequent basis, no matter how many people want to make you think that He does. And the very fact that He says you need to remember this and memorialize this is evidence that He doesn't do some things very often. As a matter of fact, there are some things He does one time and one time only. I.e., stopping up of the Jordan River. I.e., sending His Son to die on Calvary's cross. I.e., causing you to be born again where once you were spiritually dead, but now you're spiritually alive. There's some things that only happen one time. Because He only has to do them once, Right? So why does he say we need to write this down? Hey, you can't fly by the seat of your pants. There's some things that you need to memorialize. You need to write them in stone. Because you may never see them happen again. And can I say that if we forget where we've come from, we will begin to drift spiritually. That's why I say there's maybe no such thing as a forgetful spiritual person. But why should we write these things down in stone? Well... Because the miracle was not common. But number two, the stones would cause curiosity. Notice verse number six. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask, Boy, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Do you see the curiosity that those stones were intended to cause? And the attention that they were supposed to draw? I think for several reasons. Number one, these stones didn't look anything like the other stones that were laying on the ground. Stones that have been on dry land all their life look different from stones that have been smoothed and sometimes sharpened by the flow of rivers for centuries. So you can tell that there was something different about these stones. So they caught attention and they caused curiosity. But not only was it because they were different, because they were configured in such a way as you just don't find stones like this. If, if, if these stones are like this, somebody put them there. Why did they put them there? Now check this out. Curiosity. Curiosity, curiosity, curiosity. Here's how you know when God's got somebody's attention. They begin to ask you questions. Because they're curious. And you see, that's really the evangelism that the Bible purports. Can I remind you of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15? Here's what it is that Peter says. He says, Sanctify the Lord in your hearts 
and be ready to give an answer for every time that someone asks you for the reason of the hope that lies within you. You see that? It's the same thing. Folks asking. Hey, can I, can I ask you a question? When was the last time you had somebody come up and ask you, say, hey man, listen, I, I just can't figure this out. You've got to answer this question for me. What is the deal with you? Because you're curious, right? Hey, maybe because you're... Hey, we, we are to be uncommon. We're to be a little bit odd, but on the good side, right? That same Peter describes the people of God like this. He said, you are a peculiar people. And peculiar people cause people sometimes to scratch their heads and ask questions. So the miracle was uncommon. The stones were to cause curiosity. And then the questions provoke conversation. You know what these songs were? Let me put it in everyday terms. It was a conversation piece. You have any conversation pieces that ought to just cause people to come up and say, man, tell me, what in the world does that mean? I mean, there's some things that we do that are strange, right? Hey, uh, I saw a church, a video of a church not long ago. They're a big downtown church in a major hustling, bustling city. And they created up kind of high and elevated above their building a glass room. And in that glass room is where they do all their baptizing so all that lost city can see what they're doing. Hey, that's peculiar, is it not? I mean, wouldn't that cause people to ask a question? If you didn't know anything about the Lord, what in the world are you folk doing? Dunking people under, what, y'all mad at them? <laughs> y'all trying to drown them? One of our sons was about three or four years old. Every time we'd have baptism, this is the only thing he could think of. Somebody was getting their hair washed today. <laughs> Daddy, who's, who's getting their hair washed today? I, I guess he just <laughs> they ain't had a shampoo in a while and they needed to get their hair washed, so we decided to do it for them since they wouldn't do it themselves. But it was a conversation piece. So here's some things that we need to think through as people. Here's the thing we need to think through as Grace Church. Are we causing anybody in Bonifay to be curious? Hey, but beyond that, are we causing anybody in the uttermost parts of the earth to be curious? Do we have good conversation starters? Because that's the whole purpose of this was a conversation starter. Write it in stone because the enemy of faith is forgetfulness. Number two, write it in stone because the preached word is God's primary method of encouraging fidelity. Let me say that again. The preached word has always been and always will be God's primary method for encouraging fidelity. Did you notice in this passage how many times it said, and they completed doing everything that Joshua had said? Or they completed doing everything that the Lord had commanded Joshua. There's a link between Joshua's words and the words of the Lord because it's always the preached word of God that encourages fidelity in people. Now can I just stop right there and say there's a lot of folk today that are chasing after experiences and experiences are just not what God chooses to found faith upon. It just isn't. It isn't miracles. As a matter of fact, that's why he doesn't do these types of miracles very rarely, but he says, I want you to talk about them, I want you to memorialize them, and I want you to preach about them. Why? 
Because when it comes to faith, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me, there is no substitute for the preaching of God's Word. No substitute. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Hearing by the Word of God. So it's not miracles that God wants to build faith upon. It's the preaching of God's Word and the recounting of His historic actions is what God always uses to encourage fidelity in His people. Always. Now listen, preaching has become in jeopardy these days. Did you know that? I mean, it just really is. One of the things that bothers me about modern day Christianity is we are not producing the preachers that we produced a hundred years ago or 75 years ago. Man, what's going on? Because without the preaching of God's Word... And look, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on out there in a whole lot of churches today under the guise of preaching that it has little to do with the historic acts of God as recorded in His Word. just has little to do with it. But preaching is God's primary method of encouraging fidelity in His people. Now, notice there's something here that... And, and boy, I, I went back and forth with this thing. The only thing that held me to this theme is the fact that it's the central idea of the text, preachers. Because I really wanted to spend my whole time on these 12 men. Because these 12 men are interesting and they form a vital part of this text. So notice the third principle that we derive from this text is this. To write it in stone in your life. To write it in stone requires the help of folks who are faithful. This is why you need somebody. This is why we need the church. I, I, I can't write things in stone and write an autobiography. Your, your journey cannot be an autobiography. Somebody else has got to be writing it with you and for you. You need the help of other people to write these types of things. And notice these 12 men. Man, they loom large in this passage, and, and what is their significance? Well, these were the 12 men that Joshua told to go and get these stones. Now, there's several things that I want to bring to your attention today, but number one, here's my major thought. Listen to me. If God was looking for 12 faithful men in Bonifay, Florida, would you be one of them? If Joshua today was looking for 12 faithful folk, I mean, look, there was a couple million people there. And he was going to narrow a couple million down to 12 because he had an important job given to him by God and you just can't dole out important spiritual jobs to any old Tom, Dick, and Harry. So the question is, would I have been one of those 12 men? If not, why not? Would you be one of those 12 men? If not, why not? Check out these 12 men whom Joshua chose, whom the Lord set forth out of 2 million people. Notice some of the characteristics about these 12 men. I think the first thing we can say about these 12 men is maybe the reason they were chosen is because faithful men like this write blank checks. They write blank checks. Now, I want you to see this. And a lot of folk have criticized the text. They think something's going on. This is not good literature. You can tell this was, 
that this was haphazard. No, it's not. All of these are divine marks. Let me go all the way back with you to chapter 3, verse number 12. Look at, look at, look at what's going on here. Joshua's given all the instruction about crossing the Jordan River, right? As God had given them to him. Now in verse number 12, look what he does. After he talks about, well, let's read verse 11 and you, you see how this flows. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. It shall come to pass when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, yada, yada, yada. What do you notice about verse 12? Say it again, Alyssa. It doesn't fit, does it? I mean, if, if you took a blackout and you blacked out verse number 12, the story would read much smoother, would it not? I mean, it's just in there. It doesn't fit. It's a sore thumb. What in the world's going on here? And it's drawing a lot of criticism. But let me tell you what's going on here. Joshua just says, hey, I need 12 men. I need 12 faithful men. He planted a seed. That's all he did and he moved on. He built suspense. But he said, I need 12 men. Now look, if today I stood up here and said, I need 12 people. Listen, I've got something that we've got to get done. We can't botch this up. I need people who know how to get in touch with God. I need people who walk with God. And I need people who can see Him at work in their life and around Him. I've got to have 12 people today that just can't mess this up. One of the first questions would be, Preacher, what do you need us for? Right? Right? What are you thinking about, preacher? Before I sign up, before I volunteer, I need to know what the job description is. I need to know some more details about it. Look, Joshua doesn't give any of those. He just says in chapter 3, verse number 12, I need 12 men. 12 men. They knew nothing about what the Lord needed them for, but by golly, they just said, Here am I, send me. It doesn't matter. So they wrote a blank check. Here's what they did. Before they even knew what God wanted, they put their yes on the table. And they said, no matter what it is, the answer is yes. Man, don't you love that? Don't you love that? Man, what would happen at Grace Church? What would happen in Boniface? What would happen around the world? If everybody at Grace Church came today like this, and they said like the prophet Samuel said so many years ago, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And no matter what you say, the answer is yes. Just think about that because, hey, you don't know what God's going to say when you come. But if you just knew that God was saying it, if you'd already put your yes on the table before we walk in and have an encounter with God through His Word and said, yes, man, how much better off would we be? But instead, here's what we do. We come in. The Word's preached. My gosh, has that preacher been hiding out in my spare bedroom this week? No, that's not the preacher. That's the dynamic interaction, the divine interaction between you and God's Word. And God gets down into your business. And here's normally what we say. Man, that's interesting, God. Let me pray about that this week. That's our spiritual response, is it not? Huh? I've always been curious. 
who are you going to pray to? God number two? Because God number one just told you to do it. You think he's going to change his mind? But, but, but that's what we do, is it not? But hey, if we're going to be those faithful men who help write it in stone, not only in our life, but in the life of our, our, our brothers and sisters and in the life of our community and for the sake of our lost world, by golly, we better come and say, God, no matter what it is, you don't have to give me any details. If you've called me to do it, the answer is yes. We've got some folk here like that. We've got some folk to tell me on a regular basis, no matter what it is, yes, just call me. I'm putting up fence this week. <laughs> I shouldn't have told you that, huh? <laughs> okay, y'all come on up to the house. <laughs> it's too far to back out once you get there. Hey, <laughs> to write it in stone requires the help of folks who are faithful. And faithful folk write blank checks to the Lord. Lord, here it is. Up to my life, whatever it is you need of me, the answer is yes. And I think that was part of the purpose why Joshua just mentioned it in passing. All those people that said, what, you need 12 men? What do you need, Joshua? He already knew they were disqualified. He don't need folk that their obedience is conditional. He don't need folk to think, well, yeah, I can do that. He needs folks who will say, no matter what it is, my obedience is unconditional, my yes is on the table, I don't have the ability to do it, but by golly, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So no matter what it is, my answer is yes. Check out number next, second characteristic about these 12 men. Number one, they write blank checks. But number two, these 12 men walk against the flow. They walk against the flow. Now, check this out. Notice what it is that that Joshua said to these 12 men. He said to them in verse number 5, cross again. You see those little words, cross again? You know what that means? That means those boys had already crossed the river. They were standing on the side of, 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 of Jericho. Their life was no longer in danger if there was such thing of being in danger. The water's piling up like a skyscraper over here and they've already threw it and they're thinking, whoo, made it. Look there, the water's still standing. And now Joshua says to them, I need y'all to do something for me. Let's do that all over again. Huh? What do you think? So here they are, there was two million people or so crossing the Jordan and now these 12 men are out, and there are people rushing. Did you see the text said they hurried across? I mean, they weren't just lollygagging. I think, you know, they believed in the Lord, but they also were thinking, Dear Lord, look at that water. You know, they were getting it. So here these 12 men are. They're already out. They know that Joshua needs something, so they're just kind of hanging out on the bank. And Joshua says, Boys, I need you to cross again. Now, how difficult do you think that was? Because there was still... 800,000 people coming at them this way. They had to turn around and go that way. You see what I'm saying? I can remember feeling like that back in my firefighter days in Gulfport, Mississippi. While everybody else was screaming, running out of a building that was on fire, we were running into that building that was on fire. And you see, that's the nature of these 12 faithful men. They had to be comfortable walking against the flow. 
stop it on pause right there. Have you noticed since you have been born again that you are walking against the current? Huh? I mean, you just are. God's preparing you to be comfortable at walking against the flow. Somebody was telling me the other day that, man, you just have a knack for rubbing the cat the wrong way. You ever done that? You ever, pe- pe- you ever petted a cat the wrong way and made his hair stand up? <laughs> My response is, maybe the cat ought to turn around. <laughs> and then I wouldn't be rubbing him the wrong way. But you know, that's what we do as believers. You are called to walk against the flow. You're going against everything the world says. You're going against everything that people you work with say. You're going against everything that even your family sometimes says in the process of following Jesus. Hey, if you're content just moving along in the crowd, guess what? Something bad wrong. Because I promise you there's going to be a day when the Lord says, turn around and I want you to cross again. So these 12 men, look, here were 12 men. Joshua said, I need 12 men. Would I be one of those men? Because those men willingly write blank checks to the Lord. Those men, number two, walk against the flow. How many of you think the next point is going to start with a W? Well, you're wrong. (laughs) It's not. Here's the other characteristic of those (laughs) faithful men. i got to keep you on your toes sometimes, you know. Those faithful men shoulder the load. They shoulder the load. Notice what it is that verse number 5 says again. Joshua tells them, you cross again. (laughs) Get back out there, boys. Y'all thought y'all were done walking by faith? You're not. And can I say to you, you never will be. You never will. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. Y'all cross again. Now look what he says to them. Each of you take up a stone on his shoulder. There we go, right there. You know what faithful people do? Now look, I've couched this in the terms of men, but this is for women as well. It really is. And we've got some ladies here that are faithful and would probably be one of those 12. But notice what they do. Faithful people shoulder, they pick it up, and they shoulder the load. You know, here's the thing about being a part of a church plant, being a part of a church start like Grace. You've heard me say it a hundred times. Nobody can be along just for the ride. This is a multi-seated bicycle and everybody who's here has got to have their feet on the pedals. I mean, if not, we're going to very soon hit a ceiling and that's as far as we're going to go. Hey, I'm a little bit concerned. Did you know it? I am. Because it seems like we've hit 150. Now, summer's not a good time to judge it, but wait till fall. We've hit 150 and that's about as far as we can get. That's our glass ceiling. We can't get past it. And can I say to you that one of the reasons we can't get past it is because we're getting too many folks who just want to ride. And they don't want to work. we got a bunch of folks who don't want to put the stone on their shoulder. But faithful people, those people who would be fit for the task that God has for them, they willingly take up the stone and put it on their shoulder. Man, we got folk here that are carrying the load. Did you know that? I mean, we do. We just got some folk here 
that have their shoulder to the grindstone, their back to the wall all the time. And I want to tell you, those are the people whom God says, I've got something that's too important just to give to anybody. Those are the people whom God calls out for those types of tasks. Notice these faithful men, they write blank checks, they walk against the flow, they shoulder the load. And verse number 8 says they carry it to the house. Look what verse number 8 says. The Bible says, They carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. You may want to underline that word lodging place. You know what that is? That's where they were staying. That's where they were going to be. And they didn't just take those stones and drop them out on the edge of the river. They took them and they carried them all the way to the house. And can I say to you today that there seems to be a great disjunct in a lot of professing believers' lives. And between what they do at the church house and what they do at their house. See, somehow or another, it's just not translating from here to there. And what's going on? I mean, somehow or another, we're not carrying it home. And can I say to you, it does no good. You might as well leave it in the middle of the river if you're not going to take it home. Because that's where it really makes an impact, is it not? And these guys took this load and they carried it all the way to the house. Man, I love what the New Testament says. You, you read the book of Acts and you see some of those folk, the account of some of those folk who got saved. The Bible says, and their entire household. <laughs> you know why? I'll tell you why. Because what they got, son, they didn't just leave it at the church. They weren't one way up here on Sunday and another way on the job on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and another way at home on Saturday. Son, when you get it, you get it, and you can't separate yourself from it. It goes everywhere you go, and you don't drop it. You take it all the way to the house. And these faithful men carried it all the way home. Why? Because the focus was their children, was it not? Hey, when your children ask, this is what you're to tell them. Notice, number next, and we'll be doing. My goodness, where'd all my time go? Hmm. I forgot what time I'm supposed to stop. That's a joke. I'm talking about forgetfulness. Huh? <laughs> You're right. Or maybe it's not a good congregation if I have to explain it. Huh? <laughs> Please, hold all your rotten tomatoes till the end. <laughs> Here we go. Write it in stone. Notice now, Carrie and TJ, there's something huge in this last part that you probably saw it when I just read through it. You, yep, she's shaking her head. She saw it. Here it is. It's highly missional. Write it in stone because what God starts, He finishes. Check this out. Look with me in verse number 19. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month. That's the Jewish calendar, the first month of Nisan. Guess what else they did on the 10th of the first month? Anybody know? Anybody remember? We've just been through Exodus. That's Passover. That's when they put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost and God passed over. And you see, that was God starting their redemption. And by golly, now that they crossed, this is the 10th month again. As they, I mean, the, this is the 10th day of the first month. And here's what God's saying in that. Y'all remember what I started in, 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 in Egypt? It's been over 40 years, but we're finishing it today. We're finishing it. And can I say to you, you can just write that down. 
Bible says in Philippians, He who began a good work in you, He's just going to let it fizzle and die out. You fit right back in the world before long. You'll get over this religion thing. You'll be right back with your lost buddies walking the way, same way they're going before long. No, that's not what that text says. That text says, He who began a good work in you will do what, Colton? He'll complete it. You better believe it. And by golly, here's just one of those times when God says, I'll complete it. And I did complete it. Notice, here's what He finishes. It isn't finished till it's in the public realm. Till it's in the public realm. You know, everything that God does in your life personally, He expects it to get on a global platform. And it will one day. Check out this. I want you to see this, the, the missional implication here in, the, in these verses. Look at verse number 24. Verse number 23 says, He did all this stuff. He dried up the Red Sea, dried up the Jordan, and here's the purpose clause. Look at verse number 24. Underline it. That all the peoples of the earth may know. Underline that. Man, what a battle cry for everything we do in Bonifay, Florida. Why are you doing it? We're doing it that all the peoples of the earth may know. Why are we ascending church? Why do we invest so heavily in missions and getting the gospel to those who don't have access to it? Because here's our purpose in life that all the earth may know. And son, we're not done until they do. Now check it out. <laughs> he says... What I did here privately for y'all, all the earth's going to know about it. So yeah, what God does in your life publicly, I mean privately, He intends for that just to be one more episode that He puts out on the public realm in order that all the earth may know. And then finally, and I'm done, it isn't finished till it's in the public realm, but number two, it isn't finished until He's perpetually revered. Now look at this. Now here's the syntax question. How many of you are grammar geeks like me? Well, here you go. Notice, here's the question. Here it is in verse number 24. There's two purpose clauses. Are they separate? Here's one reason and here's another. Or does the second depend? Is it dependent upon the first one? That's the burning question in Hebrew syntax. Well, let me answer it for you. I think the second one is codependent upon the first one. So let me read it to you. Look what he says. He says that all the people, purpose clause number one, that uh, this is why I did this, here was my purpose, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of Yahweh is mighty. Now here's the second purpose clause, underline it, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now if those are two independent, then they just one and two. I got two reasons for doing this. But if the second one is dependent upon the first one, here's how we revere God. You want to know what will elevate our worship in Bonifay? When through the work of the Spirit of God and using the congregation of God's people at Bonifay, all the earth begins to know. Can I tell you what missions does for a local church? Son, missions causes the home front to worship Him with fervor and to revere Him in holy fear like never before. And can I say to you the reason that so many churches are dead as a hammer today is because they ain't ever sent a missionary. They ain't ever been on a short-term mission trip. They ain't ever heard of an unreached people group. And they're kind of suspicious of us that do. Huh? And their worship service, Maltus, is dead as a doornail. 
I want to tell you missions and worship are inextricably linked. And I want to tell you if we stop doing this, if we stop doing this, if we stop sending, it doesn't matter how good our guitar players are. Our worship will be just as cold as it possibly can be. Why in the world are we heaven bent on getting the gospel around the world? Number one, so that all the peoples of the earth may know. But number two, so that our passion for God will burn brighter than it's ever burned right here in Bonifay, Florida. Write it in stone. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And God, would you help us? God, I pray that Grace Church in Bonifay, Florida is not going to have 12 faithful men, 12 faithful people. I pray, God, you'll multiply that. It'll be 12 times 12, 1,200 times 12. God, may we be faithful folk who write blank checks, who walk against the flow, who carry the load, and who take it all the way to the house, not just to our home here on this planet, but God, may we carry it all the way with us to our eternal home in glory. So God, I pray for those today whom you're calling out. You're calling them to faithfulness, to be one of those men. I pray God today, their answer wouldn't be, well, let me think about it, God. I might do this on another day when I'm more prepared. I pray today they'd put their yes on the table and the blank check would be signed. I pray for those that have never been born again. God, today, would you call them to yourself, to those whom you're calling to church membership, to those whom you're calling just to walk against the flow. God, today, may we be faithful so that you'll be revered and worshipped in our hearts perpetually right here in Bonifay, Florida. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Our worship team's leading us in a